the nachos. No rain, nor wind, nor snow classico. Putting the high line with Rabbi and Red. Talking the rabbits and turning heads. With questions from you and analysis. In your car, in your home. Thank you for tuning to Holding the High Line. Hello, Rapids fans. You are listening to Holding the High Line. My name is Matt Pollard, and it is the evening of Tuesday, July 12th, 2022. It'll be mostly a solo pod tonight. Mark is currently in Los Angeles. I could not record yesterday, Monday the 11th. Mark has been up since 5 a.m. Eastern time and is completely beat, so he sent me a couple-minute uh voicemail postcard um that I'll be playing for you on Mark Anthony K in a little bit but we didn't want to go an entire week or we didn't want to go several days without giving you guys a podcast given the news last week of Mark Anthony K's transfer trade to Toronto FC obviously the derby match against RSL over the weekend for rivalry week and then obviously a DGW this upcoming week so here we are now for a solo pod, and hopefully it's not a mess. And if I get through this quickly enough, then I think we'll have a decent, nice surprise uh, interview for you at the end of all of this. So I want to start chronologically. This past Friday, uh, the Colorado Rapids transferred Mark Anthony K to Toronto FC. In return, they got $1.025 million in general allocation money that is broken down to 350k in 2022 gam 425k in 2023 gam and then there's an extra 250k in gam that will either be for 2023 or 2024 depending on k's roster status for 2023 i am aware of what that official stipulation is folks i'm not at liberty to share what that is but when that comes to when that is decided and finalized in 2023 um i will report to you what the result of that is regarding the general allocation money mostly so myself rabbi jason maxwell and joseph samuelson can all update our spreadsheets on colorado rapids gam in addition the colorado rapids um got midfielder and homegrown uh ralph Prizo, and then uh, there's also a 2023 international roster slot, and then uh, Toronto FC's natural first-round pick in the 2023 MLS Super Draft. If we look at all of those assets, and I spoke with um, a few people at the club, uh, including Pork Smith recently, uh, I spoke to him over the weekend, they had a, a conference call with a few journalists, and he called this, he described it as $2 million in general, in general allocation money equivalent in terms of the fees um if we look at ralph prizzo transfermarket.com rates his valuation at roughly 1.1 million on the open market and then depending on what that international roster slot is going for we could say that that's 200k if it ends up being a very busy window in january in terms of international players signing and then the availability of that decreases you could say that that asset is potentially worth almost 
$400,000 in allocation money. And then depending on where that first round draft pick goes, um, Toronto's made a bunch of moves. They're going to try and not win the wooden spoon this year. I don't think they will win the wooden spoon, but if that's a top five draft pick, then that could be worth 300, 300K in GAM. Or if it's just at least in the top 10, then that could be worth 100K in GAM. I feel comfortable in saying that this total haul that they got from Mark Anthony K was at least $2 million in general allocation money equivalent. It could go up to as much as 2.5. And then there is a sell-on clause both for Toronto with Prizzo coming to the Rapids and then with K going to Toronto. It's my understanding both of those are typical from what we've seen in MLS. Um, Probably it's either 25 or 50%, but I haven't been able to confirm that on either of those. I would say there's a non-zero possibility that Mark Anthony K is revitalized by going back to Toronto FC in in a way it's almost a a beautiful like poetic moment for him as a guy who was in the TFC Academy didn't really work out there he was you know he was uh the, the club got rid of him in a way that didn't really suit him particularly well when Greg Vanny was still the head coach of Toronto FC. And then now he's back reunited with Bob Bradley, who has ideas about how he can play. They see eye to eye. It's my understanding that Bob Bradley was not part of the problem in terms of his departure from Los Angeles Football Club this time last year. And so he's reunited with a coach who he likes, who likes him. He's going back to a club. It was a nonlinear path to him ultimately becoming a first-team player and a starter for Toronto FC. I think if he comes in and he plays well and Toronto is able to do something with this season or at the very least not be at the, you know, bottom crap pile of the Eastern Conference, then that will be good for him going into the World Cup. And then if he starts multiple group stage games for uh, Canada, and then if he plays well, if he scores a big goal or something, then I think uh, he's of the age and the pedigree and the level at that point where certain clubs and certain leagues in Europe would look at him. And then if we're looking at an extension of that transfer fee, I don't think I wouldn't say it's likely, but it's plausible that the Colorado Rapids will ultimately be end up recouping three to possibly four million dollars if K is sold on the high end in. January or next summer as a result of how he plays as a Toronto FC player at the World Cup. In a vacuum, I think this is good business. I think every single MLS player has a price. Uh, There was interest from Toronto FC. Uh, Colorado made it very clear what the minimum requirement was that was going to be. It ultimately ends up being almost double minimum of what the Rapids sold him, bought him from LAFC, if we're talking the 100K in GAM, and I think there was an international roster spot that slopped, so we'll say $1.2 million in general allocation money June of last year, or excuse me, August of last year, and then 11 months later, you know, they're selling him for at least double, potentially more, upwards of triple of what they, you know, of what they bought for him. You know, the, the Rapids have done a really good job in terms of their move to acquire Kellen Acosta from FC Dallas was the start of the trend of domestic players moving within MLS to a better situation and their increased value and then thus their transfer fees within the league. And so the Rapids now have acquired two of those players at the start of that trend, maybe help create or at least accelerate that trend, and then have sent sold two of those players at what I think would be the most that you could possibly get for them in terms of an inner league transfer. So, you know, talk about, you know, talk about timing the market both at the beginning and the end particularly well. 
That being said, this guts, I think, what is left of the Colorado Rapids midfield, with the exception of Jack Price, who's, you know, still trying to get that left calf sorted. Um, Ralph Prizzo, I think, will have a role on this team. Um, Robin Frazier is familiar with him and has a relationship with him from his time, from Ralph's time in the Toronto FC Academy. They would have overlapped for about two years there when Robin was an assistant with the first team. Borg Smith and the scouting staff uh, scout Toronto FC very, very heavily given Robin's time there, and they have a very good understanding of what that player is, what he can bring. He is mostly a D-mid, folks. I would describe him as a 8-ish 6, so I would say a, a good comparison, a good foil for him in terms of current Rapids players would be a Brian Acosta, a Jack Price. This is a move for the future. I think given the state of the midfield and how thin they are right there, you know, with Diego Rubio having to be moved into that position and now Mark Anthony K gone, I'm starting to question, you know, is Prizzo going to be given an opportunity to play right away or at least an opportunity to be in the 18 in the immediacy? And are the Rapids going to be dependent upon him contributing in year one to try and turn around the season, I think is an interesting question. Um, last couple of things that I want to say here on Mark Anthony K. I asked Pork about this over the weekend, as I said. And um, Kay was happy here, even though the season had kind of gone sideways, that he was content and happy being here. He wanted to be a Colorado Rapids player. And if he was going to be moved within the league, that him, his representation, his family would have preferred to go back to Toronto. So I think the club did right by him in terms of that situation and taking that into consideration. And they did right by themselves in terms of getting the max hall and getting a, you know, a compensation package that they felt was befitting of that player. And as I said, every single player at MLS has a price right now. Keegan Rosenberry is a great player, a great right back for the Colorado Rapids. If somebody came here and offered me, you know, if I was in Pork if I was in the front office's role and somebody called me up and offered me a million dollars in GAM for Keegan Rosenberry, Keegan Rosenberry is probably going to that team. That is the max value that you're going to get for him as a 28, 29 year old fullback. The other thing I'll say is that K wasn't particularly great. I thought he was, I thought he did a lot of really good things in the second half of the season last year. I think he was in a position to be very good for the Rapids this year. There were conversations about whether or not he could have done good things and that would have elevated him with his status with the Canadian men's national team. Could he potentially compete for a all-star spot? Ultimately, there were no Rapids players, folks, that were taken uh, as part of the all-star game. I'm not particularly surprised or bummed there personally. And I think there was also the question of, you know, could K become the star for the Rapids on a team where they don't really have an obvious one or one that's a marquee star. So the fact that he's an attacking midfielder was potentially going to be scoring goals, getting a lot of assists on a team where they do offense by committee on a hardworking playoff bound team. And then he also does that with Canada. Could he be the best 11 guy? He was the guy that was on all of the marketing material when they put out the New Jersey this year. And ultimately in 11 months played, he had four goals and three assists. And so you talk about taking a guy, buying him, and then he produces that level, which isn't great given how much they paid for him and then selling him for double pretty decent business as far as I'm concerned. The last big question that I kind of have from this in terms of this move is the question of whether or not this is an inflection point in the season or in the Robin Frazier era and what this means for the rest of this window. Or is this a sign that the Rapids are a selling club and they're tearing, they're starting the teardown, they're starting the rebuild for next year now? Uh, I want to go back to a quote that I got from Pork over the weekend. 
quote, I know we can get over this and I know we can put ourselves in a position to challenge for the playoffs and I fully expect us to be competitive and I think that will be seen in what we do in this window. We are not giving up on this season by any stretch. Uh, this trade, referring to the Mark Anthony K trade, gives us various different assets that we believe we can use to make the roster better in both the short term and long term. We will be active, end quote. I want to believe Forrick Smith. Um, I know that he and the front office are working very hard. Uh, I think ultimately what they do, and they've got about three weeks and change. I think it's August. August 4th it is, is the final day of the secondary transfer window. So they've got, what, three weeks and a couple days in order to do something. And I am going to withhold judgment in terms of whether or not I think that the club is folding on this season and whether or in my uh my view on that will be determined based on what they do in these final three weeks. If I were Robin Frazier, which I'm not, you know, I would say, you know, we've got an extra million dollars in GAM. Is that enough for us to go get Latif Blessing? If so, go get me Latif Blessing. Let's try and take a flyer, get somebody else in the midfield that we believe can start right away. And then I think it's a valid question of whether or not you take a second look at the center back role. I know the club is high on Abubakar Keita and on Gustavo Viasina and, you know, Mike Edwards has proven to be a little bit more of a project than I think we wanted him to be in MLS Next Pro with Rapids 2, but they've got a few options that I think in the long term could be a viable third center back option. But I don't know that there's I think it shows that Austin Trustee started 16 of the 17 league games this year that there was no other viable option that was better than him, even as his form dipped towards the end of his time in Burgundy and Blue. Gustavo Viasio was um, recovering from an injury when he was signed from FC Cincinnati, and he hasn't gotten a good run of games. So if it's going to be him in a back three, in a back five with Kenny Wilson and Lawson Bubakar, then to a certain extent, he's going to be thrown to the deep end. I would say the same thing if it ends up being Mike Edwards. We have seen when it is Lawless and Danny Wilson in a back four, either together or with another center back that too often both of them get exposed in 1v1 situations that they have not been good in the season. We've seen that with Danny the last couple of weeks. We saw that with Lalo Sububakar to an extent on the Severino goal over the weekend. And so in that, I think at some point, Robin Frazier, Robin doesn't have, I think, an immediately available option that is better than I think what Trusty was giving you in his final weeks with the Rapids, unfortunately. And in that, he's going to have to make a decision on what to do now that Trusty is gone in a way that, um, it, that you know, is a calculated risk or making a decision that he knows is hasn't been tried or that isn't ready or that inherently has a weakness, whether that's going back to a back four with Wilson and Abubakar, whether that is playing one of the other center backs that hasn't gotten a run of games or whether that's putting Keegan Rosenberry into a center back position and then thereby relying on, you know, Lucas Estevez, you know, then you're relying on your four fullbacks to play very, very well for the second half of the season. Stephen Betasher, for me, has got that dog in him, even though, uh, even though Wanners did not include him on that thread of Rapids players who got that tongue in him. Uh, Sebastian Anderson, I don't think is ready to be a starter in MLS. And Anthony Markanich, we've seen he's had two games, one very good, 
one very bad. Somebody has to play in that right back role and play very well if it's not Keegan Rosenberry in that back three, back five. And I don't know that there's an answer there. Um, <clears throat> on that note, you know, I'm just I'm really disappointed in the way that Austin Trustee's time with the Rapids ended. I don't think that he leaves on a high in terms of his individual form. 2021 his, was his best season individually and collectively for the club and the last couple months were just really disappointing when you look at the highlight reels and goals conceded and just seeing him in individual 1v1 marking situations where he just doesn't get the job done I do think some of the criticism towards him by the fan base and even other members of the media has been a little bit harsh if you go back and you look at some of the goals conceded I look at the two for example the first two goals on 4th of July against Austin FC um you know, shows that there have been a lot of these situations where somebody else makes a mistake or is out of position or a ball doesn't get cleared and then trustee has to react while out of position because of that situation. So on the first goal that Austin scored the ball over the top, Danny Wilson, if you go back and look at the highlight reel, actually ducks and lets the ball go over him. And then Austin has to catch up with Ethan Finley. Austin trustee is not as fast as Ethan Finley, but it looks bad because it looks like Finley runs past Austin trustee who was supposed to be marking him because Wilson's slightly out of position, but doesn't deal with the ball directly and then puts trustee in a position um, in a difficult situation. Similarly, I think there's multiple players who are out of position with the Druissi goal, and then ultimately Trusty has to kind of react to that. So was Trusty good in his final two months with the Rapids? No. Were there a number of plays where he was the last man responsible to prevent a goal and he did not do that? Yes. Were there other things going on that put him in a position to fail? Absolutely. So I think it's far more nuanced and complicated than just simply saying that Trusty wasn't successful. Um, the last thing that I want to say on trustee, there's been a question going around um, regarding his departure and the timing of it. The initial press release said that the loan was going to expire on July 17th. So after this coming Saturday's game uh, against LA Galaxy on the 26th. And so I got some clarity from Porik over the weekend on what was going on there. Um, uh, so here's the quote, um, uh, quote, I threw that date out and was hoping that we'd be able to keep him through the galaxy game. We knew that once the Loney club got involved, there was going, they were going to want him over there early. Uh, we were going to work. We were, we were going to work to put Austin in the best position to succeed. It was a little bit of a cheeky request. The game on Monty Monday was his last one for us. So um, I don't have any information on that Loney club or whether or not it's been finalized. My understanding is for an extended period of time that the plan was always for Arsenal to send him out on loan. And then it looks like this change was a change that happened relatively recently and that Arsenal has mostly figured out probably who that club is going to be or a collection of them. And then the Loney club requested him at a certain time such that it was before July 16th. And in order for his to get affairs in order, he did have to take a trip back to Philadelphia, get over to England, possibly do a physical there, possibly do some paperwork in London. And, and then if he's not staying in England, then potentially go on loan to that country, deal with that travel paperwork, Possibly other COVID protocol. I'm not entirely sure. I'm just speculating here such that that moved up ultimately his departure date and then moved up ultimately his final game 
with the Colorado Rapids. So I know some people were asking about that. That is the details on that. Without further ado, here is Rabbi's voicemail postcard with his thoughts on Mark Anthony K. Hey, all you folks out there in holding the Highland land, I, even though I am completely exhausted and like I have been awake for an insane amount of time traveling across these United States, I just wanted to throw in a quick uh, message to all y'all just about the, I guess the big news of the week, which is our guy, Mark Anthony Kay, getting traded to Toronto um, for a player who I've never heard of, who hopefully will be something useful somewhere down the line. But, um, you know, I I don't want to say I told you so, but, you know, we were talking last week on the podcast about whether the Rapids were a buying club or a selling club, and I think a lot of folks thought we were a buying club because things look really good and, you know, we're only a few pieces away from being playoff ready. But I think ultimately, you know, one of the things that I concluded was, yeah, I don't know if that's so true. Uh, you know, we probably are a selling club, and unfortunately I was proven right. Uh, Mark Anthony K. being flipped to Toronto is not necessarily a sign that the season is over. I think it's really easy to look at one move and say, well, that's probably all the moves. But, you know, let pork cook, uh, hashtag let pork cook, the, the guy often will take the money that he just uh, uh picked up in a deal and find a way to use it. Now, being under pressure to pull the trigger on a trade or a purchase of a young player who may not be ready to step in this year is not normally his methodology. Um, you want to wait and find the right guy, and then you want to wait till the selling club is actually ready to sell them rather than you know throw extra money at them to force their hands. So whether Porik had a guy in... Greece or China or Turkey or Norway or Argentina lined up to buy for, you know, a million dollars in 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 cash and and considerations or whether he's sitting on it and waiting until the next trade window, um, the next, you know, uh, season window opens in in the end of the year is a good question. Um it's possible that we've punted on the year. It's possible that we're only looking forward to 2023. I, I think I would say there's an 80% chance that this season is effectively over and we're just building towards next year. But I would always hold out the possibility of that 20%, that this team will make a move during this window in the next three weeks that will bring in a talented uh, Gam-Tam level player or maybe you know possibly even a DP level player um, who will really kind of move the needle. As it stands, though, right now, without Mark Anthony Kay in the midfield, it's really thin in the midfield, uh, especially with Jack Price injured, considering the misfiring of Jossi Zardes, considering Austin Trusty going off. Um, it, we're really thin right now. Whether the Rapids can be competitive over the next eight games is a real question. Um, and if they can't be competitive in the next eight games, if they can't, you know, pick up four wins and two draws out of those games. If they can't pick up six wins out of those uh, games, um, this season might be well and truly over for us. Uh, love to y'all, uh, especially to Matt, who's holding it down on his own today. Uh, thanks for doing that, Matt, so that I can catch some Zs and be at my best to hang out with my mom and my kids for the first time all together in three years. Love to y'all.
Moving on, um, a few thoughts on the Rocky Mountain Cup. This past Saturday, the Colorado Rapids played to a 2-2 draw with Real Salt Lake after going down 2-0 and then scoring two goals in the second half to get a 2-2 draw. Unfortunately, due to the nature of the rules around the Rocky Mountain Cup, RSL retains the trophy as it was tied on points on aggregate with both teams getting a draw in the two legs and RSL being the um, defending uh, cup champions with that. I've never cared for that particular rule, if I'm being honest, folks. Obviously, I've never been too involved with C38. I was not covering Colorado. uh, I was not covering the Rapids nor was I even in the state of Colorado at the time of the formation of the Rocky Mountain Cup. As Robin Frazier would probably put it, there's no point complaining about the rules. There's nothing they can do about it. They can just work within the structure of that. The Rapids tried to win the game on Saturday, and ultimately that was unsuccessful. They, I, I think this game, for me, really comes down to just two very different halves in terms of the first half being a really great performance, but not getting the result in any way through 45 minutes. And the second half not being pretty, but ultimately being extremely effective to a certain extent, I'd say professional and certainly very efficient to find a way to get a draw in this game. Zardes has two really good looks in the first half on headers off of corners. He's not able to convert either of those. Uh, he misses that sitter in the 23rd minute where the ball comes into the box inside the six. Zach McMath doesn't collect it cleanly, and then it's sitting there. Matt McMath is ultimately able to collect the ball, but Zardes could have had a, a fortuitous tap in from a yard out, two yards out, and he wasn't able to convert. He is snake bitten right now, folks. I've, I've said it already previously. I'm at DEFCON 1 in terms of him as a striker. Um, he's the highest paid player on this team this year, and he can't buy a goal with his salary right now, and I'm not sure what to make of that. I just feel like he needs the most random, fortuitous, unearned goal whatsoever to maybe uh, you know, spark something else, but um, he is on a bad run of form right now and ultimately his poor finishing his lack of finishing cost the Rapids in this game Max had that great opportunity in the what five minutes left with uh, you know getting the ball at the top of the box he doesn't have any defenders immediately in front of him and he puts the ball wide of the post the Rapids should have been up 2-0 at that point it could have easily have been 3-0 Uh, They give up a goal right towards the end of the first half. It's a well-taken strike from outside the box by Savarino. At the same time, would you say that Lalo Sabubakar could have closed him down a little bit better? Could one of the other midfields been there, you know, to kind of, you know, put somebody in his face to where he doesn't have the space to pick out that corner, um, you know, and put the ball in a place that, you know, William Yarbrough was not going to save it? I think valid questions, but, you know, well well struck, none none the least. Um... The more egregious goal for me is the second one that is a header off of a rebound on a free kick that goes off the crossbar and then Justin Miram runs onto it and basically falls down, taking the header and then putting it into the back of the net. Keegan Rosenberry caught ball watching, doesn't go back and go for the ball, doesn't mark up Justin Miram very well. I'm more upset at that goal than I am the first one. But nonetheless, this just further highlights that the Rapids have been leaky defensively. The focus has not been there. And it's amazing how, whether it's from the run of play, whether it's when the other team has the ball in possession, whether it's on set pieces that just little moments of switching off mentally has caught this team. And they do that five to seven times in a game. The opponent scores two to three goals from that. And between last year and this year, that just the the difference in focus and intensity 
in those little moments, those handful of moments over the course of 90 minutes are the difference between the best defense in Major League Soccer in 2021 and a relatively average pedestrian and frustrating defense now in 2022. The Rapids ultimately fight back, though. They keep fighting. Michael Barrios comes off the bench. He draws a penalty. It was a penalty for me, regardless of what a certain former Rapids player and head coach and current head coach of Real Salt Lake Wanted to say about it after the game, Diego Rubio steps up and converts it. Deserved for him that he finally got an opportunity to do something in the, in the attack, given that he's been moved into central midfield and kind of neutralized from an attacking standpoint because he's further away from goal because he's willing and able and very good to do the dirty work in the midfield that the team needs right now with Kay not there, with Nicholas Mosquito gone, uh, no more Kellen Acosta, obviously, and then Jack Price, who was unavailable in this game. And then lost to Bubakar with another set piece, you know, a great volley, you know, almost spit an image of the goal that he scored uh, against Austin in the previous game and his third goal of the year. Uh, the Rapids need more set piece goals. They need more goals from corners, whether that's lost to Bubakar or otherwise. Long may that continue as far as I'm concerned. And ultimately, this was another frustrating game because if you look at the XG, according to the box score, at MLSsoccer.com, the Rapids created, you know, 3.1 expected goals and they conceded 1.3 expected goals. The most common scoreline then should have been the Rapids winning this game 3-1. They would have gotten all three points. And then based on that result, getting the win, they would have reclaimed the Rocky Mountain Cup. And so it's disappointing. It's I, I feel like a broken record. I'm sure there's plenty of other people in the Rapids community that feel like a broken record of just... They're creating chances, they're abhorrent at trying to finish those chances, and then they give up very few quality chances to the opponent, and the opponent converts them. And the Rapids can be overall better than the opponent on the 90 minutes, they can have the better underlying numbers, but ultimately they are very poor in both of their boxes, and the other team is very good in both those boxes, and then that negates and reverses all of the other good work that they do elsewhere. It's a broken record, it's extremely frustrating. We saw it at times last season, and I think if this team makes the playoffs, I think unfortunately this could easily be the narrative in a one-and-done playoff loss as well. Um, but ultimately, I, I think the fact that they played so well, didn't get the result, and then had the gut punch at the end of the first half, I think there's some positives that Robin Frazier is going to use, that the players are going to use to build on for this double game week coming up in that they were able to fight back from down 2-0, find a way to get a draw, and hopefully this is something that can spark something better than what we've seen both on the road and just in general and how this team has played. But I, I still I agree with and understand all the fans that are saying we came into this game, it was a deciding factor in terms of the Rocky Mountain Cup, and we didn't win the Rocky Mountain Cup, and then therefore automatically this is a disappointing result, even though it ultimately gets a point. Um, so that's that. Moving forward, folks, this coming Wednesday and then Saturday, the Colorado Rapids will have home games at Dick's Sporting Goods Park. Both kickoffs will be at 7 p.m. local time. Wednesday, they'll be taking on Orlando City SC. And then on Saturday, they will be hosting the Los Angeles Galaxy. Orlando City, um, this will be their first appearance at Dick's Sporting Goods Park since what would have been the home opener in 2020. So the last time the first game pre-pandemic was... The final game pre-pandemic was the last time that they've been here. Um, they've kind of had a bit of an up and down season. Obviously, uh, you know, their big um, off-season acquisition, Pato, has been hurt. It's been the other striker. 
Erkin, Kara, who's been starting up top for them, and then Pato's mostly come off the bench. Pato did come off the bench in their weekend 1-0 victory over Inter-Miami. Defensively, I think they're still a pretty solid team. Pedro Gaese is their goalkeeper, whose nickname is the Octopus. Very befitting, given how he defends and has long arms that can reach for um, shots. And then Robin Jansen, who's been um, their main defender, along with the meme that is Rodrigo Slagle. But their offense looks completely different due to departures that they've had in the last you know, year, 18 months leading up to this season. And I'm not sure that they fully figured it out. They're a decent home team. They haven't been super great on the road. They have not been super great on the road at, at Western Conference teams. Um, and so in that regard, I think this is a game that you probably look at saying that it needs to be a win. If you're going to be a playoff team, this needs to be a win. Their main attacking midfielder, their number 10, is Mauricio Pereira. So I would watch out for him. I'm interesting to see with it being a midweek game and on the road, do we see Oscar Pereira shuffle things up in terms of what's going on at the forward position? And then ultimately, if it is Pato that is starting, what version of Pato do we see is an interesting question that, you know, hopefully makes it easier for the Rapids defense. Last thing that I kind of want to say about this game that is really my main reason for this needing to be a win is that Oscar Pereja, whether it has been with FC Dallas or with Orlando, when he's come to altitude at RSL at Colorado, he has typically played very, very pragmatic. I remember in that game, the home opener, of 2020, I was sitting in the press box next to the Orlando City beat writer for Pro Soccer USA, whose name escapes me, I apologize. But so she and I were talking before the game, and we had talked about, you know, how Orlando was going to set up, and the fact that they're a team that likes to play with the ball at their feet, you know, it's, they are, they were Techers FC at the time. And then we talked, I think it was nil nil out of the first half, and she had said, yeah, they came in and they were very pragmatic and it was like a 4-2-3-1 and Pereira was playing with numbers behind the ball and they were trying to hit the Rapids in transition and just be really stout defensively. And that went against completely against their ethos that they had been under Oscar Breja and the style of players they have. As I mentioned, their offensive uh, situation has changed completely differently. Daryl DK is now at West Brom. Um you have Chris Mueller, who went off to Scotland and then now came back and he's with Chicago. And then obviously Nani's gone and they have a new couple of DPs leading the attack at the 10 and at the 9 role. And so does Oscar Brea come out and play super defensive and will be content with a nil-nil draw or content with a 1-1 draw? And in that Ultimately, this game is going to come down to can the Rapids break them down? Can they get a lot of chances in volume? And can somebody actually finish one of those chances? And so I think when you have an opponent come in and play very defensive, play at times ugly soccer in a way where they're content to get a draw, you have to play the game to win where the opponent is playing the game not to lose. And especially it being an Eastern Conference team that hasn't played at altitude in forever, this is a game that would need to be a win for a team aspiring to make the playoffs. So um, hopefully what I just said is useful because you're listening to this on Wednesday morning or Wednesday afternoon or potentially at the tailgate uh, in your earphones on Wednesday and hopefully you're not listening to this on Thursday and you now already know the result of that game. Last thing that I will talk about, folks, is the match against the Los Angeles Galaxy. The LA Galaxy are a flawed team. You probably saw either the highlights or watched the game this past Friday in El Trafico, where they lost three to two against LAFC and thoroughly uh 
I was not convinced at any point there that they were going to get more than a draw out of that game. Greg Vanny's kind of had a rough go of it this season. I think the defense is better, but still leaks goals at inopportune times, particularly when they are having to defend with out with numbers up field and in transition and then just the what they've gotten from the winger position has just not been productive at all Grand Seer, Kevin Cabral, Diego Costa have not been particularly effective and so Chicharito's had to shoulder the load he's been okay this season not great he's got seven goals and then kind of their one big surprise the cream that's risen to the top of this has been Dejan Jovalik the Bosnian international striker that they have who's been a super sub for the last couple of games or for most of the season has usually come on, rescued a result for the LA Galaxy, and then now he's been starting more recently. He started in the 4th of July game, a big win over Montreal, and then he started in the game against El Trafico. He scored one of the two goals that the LA Galaxy scored in that. So similar, it's it, there's maybe a similar foil to Orlando in that, based on name and pedigree and career, um, what they've done in their career and the clubs they've played at, you would normally assume, oh, Pato's the big guy. He's the one that I would be worried about on Orlando City. You would normally assume that it would be Chicharito that would be the problematic player for the LA Galaxy against the Colorado Rapids. But then, you know, it's been Pereira, it's been Cara and uh, doing most of the heavy lifting for Orlando. And then more recently, it's been J- Dejan Jovalik for the LA Galaxy. That being said, Chicharito is a poacher. He is a fox in the box. He likes to find the little pockets of space where he can do really nice finishes. And that is a skill set that plays to the weakness of the Colorado Rapids center backs, given their tendency that we've seen this season and in the last couple weeks to switch off mentally and just give the opposing striker a little bit of space. If Sebastian Druissi, if Ethan Finley are able to finish with that time and space on the ball with just the keeper to beat, that is where Chicharito thrives. And so that is something that I am concerned about going into this game on Saturday. That being said, we've seen the LA Galaxy have been weak on corners and on set-piece defending in general. That should be an opportunity for Lal Bubakar, Danny Wilson to go Scottish Salmon, possibly. And just in general, this is a team that has been defensively weak. They will also be playing this weekend. They'll be playing uh, against the San Jose Earthquakes in the Cali Classico, so both teams will be on similar rest. I'm wondering if, given it's a midweek game and they had a bad result against uh, LAFC and El Trafico that Greg Vanny tries to simplify things, get a response emotionally from the team in the game on Wednesday, and then focus on just trying to grind out a result. If they just go flat 4-4-2 and then try to hit on stuff with the counter with the speed from Grand Seer and Cabral, maybe a Julian Araujo or an Efren Alvarez in a wide roll, and then just lump balls into the, into the box, hope either Chicharito gets on the end of something, or it leads to a gritty situation that then either him or Dejan can score an ugly goal. So I think we could see these two very different teams for the Rapids this week play very play very similarly given their circumstances and then in that there's a weak defense that it's going to be the Rapids getting a large volume of chances can they finish it or do they give up a really high quality opportunity to an opponent that has had better strikers this season that are able to finish but I would say just given the fact that it's it's two home games in two weeks again in in a week against two teams that are not great at that are not great on the road, one team that is a Western Conference opponent that 
is distinctly flawed that the Rapids should be able to take advantage of, and an Eastern Conference team that hasn't played at altitude since the start of the pandemic, that you just you have to think that that's enough of an advantage to where the Rapids need to cash in on that. For me, I w- I'm defining success minimum at four points. Four points, a win and a draw, I am content. But I think realistically, if you really want to put a fight into this, I think it needs to be... I think it needs to be six points. We'll see whether or not that happens uh, this week. That's going to do it for me, folks. Uh, I think we have enough time to throw in that interview that I teased earlier in the show. So I want to thank our sponsors, Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves makes amazing uh, custom scarves they have usmnt they have mls merchandise and then icarus fc does wonderful bespoke small scale kits as well you know where to find them uh links are in the show notes we have a Substack. we have a patreon we have a partnership with the denver post for a really good deal uh for a digital only sports subscription links to all of that are in the show notes you know where to find those and everything without further ado Uh, Here is my conversation from a couple weeks ago that I had with Brian Reed, the new player welfare officer for the Colorado Rapids. He's doing lots of interesting things with the first team, lots of interesting things with the new signings and international players coming in, getting acclimated to Denver, getting settled in off the field and socially with the Colorado Rapids. And he's doing a bunch of really interesting stuff with the academy that I think is setting up the academy to be very successful on and off the field and a lot of lessons learned from the pandemic as well. This is a wonderful conversation. And so without further ado, here is that interview that I had with Brian Reed, the Colorado Rapids player welfare officer. Rabbi and I will speak to you listeners next week. This is a question that's almost become a tradition for me the first time that I interview somebody at the club. I don't remember what year it was, but uh, Pork Smith's title at the time was long and nebulous and kind of hard to describe. Uh, you know, can you please define what a player welfare manager is? I would say it is, simply put, a life coach. Would you like to, okay, uh, would you like to elaborate on what your roles are with various players and what, um, you know, are, are you exclusively working with the first team, other academy players, or other players involved in the club? You know what I really like about this role is I get to work with all three levels, all three of the technical levels. So I work with the academy, I work with Rapids 2, and I work with the first team. And the reason I said life coach is because each of those, each of those groups, each of those players, they're at different phases of their life, so they require different things. And the one thing I tell you that's really exciting is that on any given day, I might be giving basic basic time management skills to an academy player. I might be working with a rapid two player either on the college placement process or potentially helping them because they just, you know, they just moved into their first apartment on their own. And then with the first team player, I might be helping them secure secure a, a child care slash daycare situation because this is their first child and all of a sudden now they're looking at, you know, a TK slash preschool. So all of those things can happen in, in in three hours, four hours in one day. So it is it's really neat and I really enjoy the way the role has been set up by the club. What does a typical day or week at the office look like for you? Or as you just described, is there no such thing? You know, it, yeah, very much so. Very very much this this job can is very much based around the community as much as it is based in the office. So on any given day, 
you know, my day typically when you look at the regular season. So the academy, since the kids have gotten out of school at the beginning of June, has also been training in the morning. But during the school year, those kids go to school and then they train in the evening. So I'll have my day start with the first team and then trickle over to Rapids 2 and then end in with the academy touch points in the afternoon. So that's what a typical day would be, you know, coming in. I would say a lot of a lot of player welfare is typically a it's atypical. It's not always going to be linear. It's not always going to be linear depending on where certain players are at or, or what we're doing. But certainly starts with the first team and then it trickles down to Rapids 2 in the academy. What made you interested in this role and in coming to the club? When you think about what we do, what we do in sport, everybody sees what happens during the games, the 90 minutes that take place. And, and I think sometimes we forget what happens outside of, outside of the white line. And I've always been one to, to want to go above and beyond for any of the players that I've ever worked with. In this type of role, in this type of position, as it becomes, as it becomes, I don't want to say popular because I, I would argue it's necessary. And you could see that around the world, all the different leagues, big clubs, small clubs, they're really putting a priority on player welfare, player care. And it's, it's something that I see this space as, in our country as just going to, it's going to take off. It's going to take off. As, as we continue to push to be a, a top 10 league in the world, you know, this is something that's going to be really important because we're going to continue to see all different types of players at, at all different phases of their life come into the club and they're, they're going to be from around the world. So it's really exciting. And it's something that I'm passionate about. And I, and I love seeing players have success. And the only way they're going to have success is if, is if everything else is going well for them as well. You know, it doesn't, you don't ever, the, the idea that you can compartmentalize and play at your absolute peak if, if other things aren't settled in your life, it's really hard. It's really difficult. You might be able to do it for a short amount of time, but certainly with the duration of the seasons that the Academy Rapids 2 and the first team play, you know, we we really want to be here to help each and, each and every one of our players have that success, both on the field and off the field. I think one of the most interesting parts of your roles or ones that I think would be uh, would be interesting for me to learn about is uh, what you do when a player comes from out of country and helping them get settled. We've seen, you know, at, at various situations where that is successful and that is not successful. You know, Zlatan wrote in his book that he would go to Ikea when he was at Ajax because it was the only place where he knew he could get food and then get food ordering it in Swedish. And uh, I hope there's no Rapids players who are going to Ikea for their daily nutrition nutritional needs now, but I don't know if you're, you'd be willing to do an example with a, a past player or talk about this more conceptually, but, you know, let's say if, you know, Max signs with the first team and he arrives in February, you know, what have you done with him and for him since to help him get settled in Colorado? I mean, that's great. So first and foremost, you're going to want to make sure that, that they understand and know how to log into their benefits that, that they're given by the league. Then you're going to you're, at, you're going to ask about the driver's license. Do they have an international driver's license? And then we're going to set up a plan for them to obtain their Colorado driver's license. You know, we're going to make sure that they come in. You know, every player that gets signed, they have a certain amount of allotment to stay in a hotel. We're going to make sure that that hotel is comfortable and fits their needs. You know, then we're going to look at a bank account. We're going to look at a U.S. phone. You know, we're, we're going to need to talk through Social Security. We're going to need to purchase and set up furniture. You know, we, we're going to have to figure out the car situation. 
all of those things need to take place within that first within that first 14 day period and you really want to make sure that you can work through it and quite honestly it's hard because they still need to come to practice every day they need to perform so these things are going to take place away from the facility but I think we have a really good plan in place set up by by the leadership of the club you know court Courtney P Wayne you know they we have a really good process and it's my job to to tackle and everything I just listed right there those are things that I'm directly involved with when any new player comes in and particularly players that come in from outside of the country so that's that's really going to be those are the big things that we're going to look to check off and then after that you know you talk about you brought up Max as an, as an example I like to joke that you could you could write a, a 30 minute sitcom off of Brian and Max go to Whole Foods because that was one of the <laughs> best experiences ever you know Max you know but but again just walking through and say hey this is a U.S. grocery store this is where you're going to find this that and the other I brought up Whole Foods because potentially that's the that's the grocery store that's closest to them you know we have King Super as well there's Sprouts but we want to make sure they know what their grocery options are we want to make sure they know how to navigate it and that they're comfortable and then you know, if need be, show them how the U.S. appliances work because it could be different. It could be different based on whatever country they came from. So we're going to do all those things, and then we're going to make sure they're eating well. We're going to make sure they're not ordering DoorDash every single day that they're here because obviously that's not going to have them, you know, fulfilling their peak nutrition. You know, we're going to – we want to know how well can you cook for yourself. And, and if we need to do some lessons there, then so be it. But, yeah, I mean, those are just the experiences that – you don't want a player to be left on their own. You know, you want them to feel like they have somebody here that can help them. And, and again, no details too small or no task is too mundane because at the end of the day, it's their life. You know, it's their life. And, and when they're away from the field, we want to make sure that they feel comfortable. How much is their follow-up? So let's say there's the, the first 14 days of a new player arriving here is maybe very intensive and maybe they're interacting with you on a daily basis, including you taking Max to Whole Foods for his first American grocery store experience. But then, you know, as they get settled, as they get more familiar with their teammates, maybe they're going out, you know, the uh, Los Locos de Los Rapids maybe are cooking or getting food together amongst themselves. Is there a follow-up, say, a month after, you know, Max has almost been here six months. How much are you checking in with guys once they've gotten settled? I mean, that's daily. That's daily, right? Because you, you never take anything for granted. Because the second the second you feel like everything's good, then something can slip between the cracks. So when I when I mentioned that's how my day starts, my day starts with the first team, and that's when those guys arrive, you're checking in. Obviously, we're connected through, you know, we're connected through our phones, through WhatsApp, and those guys can always reach out to me if, if they have any needs or if things come up on a, on a day off, let's say. But certainly any time that they're, they're coming to the facility, I'm seeing those guys and I'm checking in with them and we're all, we're doing daily updates. I mean, that's just, to me, that, that's so important. That's so important. Players have family members. They have significant others as well who potentially are coming with them to Colorado. There was a really good tidbit. I can't remember if it was the Man City or the Tottenham All or Nothing series on Amazon Prime, but uh, a new player had signed and kind of they did a whole five minute segment on the wife of the player coming in and kind of being welcomed in by the other wives of the team. How much interaction are you interacting with players, family members, kids talking about getting the kids in schools and stuff like that? Oh, we have a really good team. So when it comes, when it comes to the significant others, you know, it's not just myself. It's also Caitlin Kinsler and Courtney and Tara. So between the three of us, we're really going to manage, we're going to manage the family structures and the family units. And they do a wonderful job. They do a wonderful job, whether it's game day for the spouses, whether it's getting them together for a meal, um, getting them the information. Certainly when it comes to something like 
community-based, like finding the right school or, or talking through daycare options, that's something that I'll take the lead on. But again, Caitlin, Caitlin and Courtney do an excellent job with, with supporting the spouses of significant others and, and making sure that they feel welcome and loved at the club. So it's a team effort, definitely a team effort. And, and obviously they, they do it really well. Some of your background is in the college game, maybe interacting or doing player welfare management for a college player can be a, a, a little bit different. They certainly would have different needs than, say, Max, who at 17 would have been a mini professional versus, uh, you know, say, a, a first year player at a, a big powerhouse college program. Um, and then even if you look at players from the development academy and how their lives can mimic a professional environment or professional day, certainly when the school semester isn't going on, you know, how are you able to better help some of those college players adjust? You know, let's take Anthony Markanich, for example, given that the club is still emphasizing the draft. You know, you take, if you want to take Anthony, for example, you know, with Anthony, it's just, it's helping him when he first gets here. You know, you're going to help him get his place. You're going to help him get a vehicle if necessary. And then you're just going to talk him through what it's like to be a bro. And you just, again, that that's part of that life coach mentorship that we're talking about. Like, hey, here, we want to set your expectations. We're going to walk through your time management. You know, we're going to walk through the resources. I'm not the only resource that these, that these players have. We're going to make sure that he fully understands that. And again, it, it comes to the daily communication and building that relationship, you know, outside of the player coach relationship. That's really going to help him feel settled. Now, Anthony benefits from the fact that he had, you know, he had multiple years in college. So he lived on his own, right? He went through the freshman dorm experience. You know, he lived in the soccer house afterwards. So he's at he's had a little bit of life experience. So, you know, when you look at the college guys, there's a bit of maturity about them that that they come in with. And certainly not just Anthony, his brother over in Cincinnati. And you look at some of the other draft picks throughout the throughout the league this year that have kind of stepped in and are starting to see a little bit of success and more time on the field. Well, you know, they had they had the opportunity to go the college pathway and develop that and, and grow that maturity. So. I think that that's one of the reasons why you'll always see the draft be a vehicle to find, you know, really good talent, potentially the word that I, I know a lot of us use is a late developer. College still gives those kids an opportunity to continue to develop their game. And, you know, if they're getting the minutes and they're getting the games and they're, they're playing highly competitive matches, conference tournaments, playoffs and everything else, and they keep growing potentially physically, mentally, emotionally, you're always going to be able to find really good players in the draft, I think. You spent some time with the LA Galaxy and with the Houston Dynamo in a variety of different roles, none of which I would say, based on researching you off of your public LinkedIn page for this conversation, I would say are directly player welfare management. Um, how did those experiences help you prepare for what you're doing now with the Rapids? I would tell you that I'm pretty blessed. When you look at the people that I had a chance to learn from, and certainly I give each one of them credit because they were excellent mentors, excellent mentors for this league. You know, first it was Kurt Anolfo who gave me the opportunity with the Galaxy and then working with his staff. You know, there's Auntie Razov and Rob Sarah who I'm working with on a daily basis. And then when Siggy came in, you know, he brought Don Kinnear with them. So I'm, I'm, I have an opportunity to work with guys who not only have been a part of this league and been a part of this league growing, they were really successful. They were really, I mean, these are champions. These are guys that have won multiple cups. So for me, the fact that the fact that they really took me under their wing, it, it was unbelievable. And, and you get to learn all the nuance. And when you're learning nuance from 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 those people, 
and, and they, they really take the time to help you grow and to help you just dive into the position. I, I think I've joked at times, it's like getting a PhD. You know, you're getting a PhD in MLS soccer. And I think I was really lucky. And then you look at Houston, the last staff that, that I had when I was down there, that's Tab, Omid, that's Martin Vasquez and Pablo. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And the one thing I'd say with them, you know, obviously my role in Houston was different. They took such an interest in what we were doing in the academy space every day. You know, they're, they're stopping in. They're telling us what they're doing, what they're looking for. They're, they want to know what we're doing. And, and it was it was just so fantastic. And they're giving us feedback based on what they're seeing and training. They're coming out to games. Um, and when you think about the MLS schedule, the fact that you have these players who have had success at the international level, you know, with Tab, with Tab both coaching and playing, Omid being right there with them, Pablo obviously in his successful career, but for them to take time, for them to, to dive in and pour into what we're doing and, again, provide that mentorship. Hey, I see what you're doing. Maybe tweak this, try this. Come on in. Here's what we're doing. Do you have any questions? You're only going to get better, and you're only going to continue to, to grow your perspective. And, and again, when you, have, when you have people like this who have done it all, who have done it all in soccer, and they're still willing to pour into the next generation uh, of people that, that want to be involved in the game at a really high level, it's special. So I, I guess it's luck. You know, I guess it's luck. But at the end of the day, I'm very grateful for, for what they were able to provide me and for what I learned in, in each of those experiences, which really helped me, helped me when, it, when it came time to tackle this role and tackle this job and to be here now with P, Wayne, Robin. I mean, man, it's, it's something else. So, again, you, you, it never stops, right? The learning just continues to evolve. And when you have people that are really invested in the people that are in the club, you're, you're only going to get better. So it's really nice. You mentioned Pablo Mastroeni. I think his time at Houston was interesting. What we know now with hindsight in terms of, I think, learning, um, you know, correcting on, uh, like you said, I think he similarly was in a period where he was a sponge and needed to grow to be a better coach than what he was here in Colorado. And now we've seen him succeed in many ways at RSL. What was your relationship like with, with him? Well, again, just, just to refer back, Pablo was, was invested. He was somebody, he was somebody that he took a real interest in what we were doing. He was then willing to talk about what they were doing in the first team space. And he, he, he truly sat down and he listened and he was willing to then provide us with all of his experiences and stories and talk about the different managers he played for his successes, his failures, whether it's, you know, with the, you know, his time with the national team, his time in the MLS, just, and he really emphasized the human component of what we do. I mean, he was big on that. So I just refer back to the word. I, I guess it's lucky. I guess it's lucky, but you know, when you have that, just it feeds it feeds your fire. It's going to feel your fire because you really feel like you really feel like they're taking you under your wing, and, and you could just you learn so much every day. Whether it's a, a forty-five minute conversation, whether it's the, that open invitation to come view training, I mean, that kind of stuff builds culture. It builds culture in the club, and and it just shows you it shows you kind of it's a really good guiding guiding mechanism. Like, well, if he's like that, then absolutely, that's what that's what I want to do. So, uh, I don't know how much a video analyst at the LA Galaxy would interact with the head coach at the time, but uh, you would have overlapped a little bit with Siggy Schmidt. Rest in peace. Do you have one good interaction or story about working under Siggy? I that's interesting. I would tell you that 
one of the qualities that I noticed is that no matter if you're talking about myself, if you're talking about other coaches on the staff, players, current, past, future, if, if you're talking about scouting, one of the things I noticed about Siggy is he was always able to find and identify quickly the best quality in everybody. So, he that that's one thing that I, I definitely took away from that. He was able to identify it quickly. And certainly, I imagine that's what made him so successful over his career. You know, people talk a lot about Bill Walsh, to, to use American football as a reference. And Bill Walsh is famous for always, always, whether it was player identification, whether it was the, the team he's actually coaching, he always made it a point to emphasize the best qualities in each of the players. And then he took, he then took that attitude towards the staff and said, now, here's what all these guys do really well. How, let's find a way to put it together. And that's something I very much took from Ziggy, whether it was how he, how he, how he worked with us as a staff or then how he went about managing the team on a daily basis. That was one of, that was one of the things that I took away from that. He was always focused on. Let's figure out what everybody does well, and then let's use that to to the best advantage we can. I think we are just now starting to grasp the impact the pandemic has had on young people and teenagers in terms of the implications on what it meant for them socially and mentally. I've spoken to a number of people in the academy who admitted that you know it was a tough time and development of players slowed. Obviously, their social lives were upended in many ways, both at school, at home, and obviously in the academy. Um, and even a few people have commented that a lot of players suffered in the classroom. You joined the club you know, it would have been after 2020, but, you know, I'm wondering, you know, what's the club implemented now with that understanding and those lessons learned to help players mentally and emotionally? It's a great question. I will, I will attack it in this way. One, I'll give you an example first, and then I'll explain to you then how we're using our academic strategy to support these players. So my example is if you had a player who at home speaks a language other than English. During the pandemic, during the pandemic, they spent anywhere from 12 months to 18 months at home, outside of the classroom environment, away from their peers. So potentially, they're hearing their native language now instead of the 30 to 40%, you know, when you're at school compared to being at home. Now you're going back to 100% hearing the native language and potentially, depending on how the online education was broken down and that's school to school, district to district, you know, that exposure, that exposure to the English every day drops off from what it was from their grade school all the way through to getting into middle school and high school. So one of the interesting trends that, that I think we identified in just getting transcripts, and that was one of the first things I did with the academy, you request the transcripts because you want to see where everybody's at academically. One of the things we noticed that once they went back to the classroom, you had students that were still, they were good in math, they were still good in math because math is quite honestly its own language. But then when you look at how they were performing in some of the other subjects that potentially have lessons that are based on English, they were struggling. And because the pandemic saw some of the resources and some of the schools lose counselors, lose teachers, turn over these things, all of a sudden these kids are falling behind through no fault of their own. So I give you that example because one of the things that we wanted to do immediately was figure out how can we better support these players. And Chris Cart's, the academy director, has been working to continue to build and grow our Audi online, our, our Audi, our Audi online school program. And each year we've added more players. This year, you know, we're up to 15 players who are full time in our online school program. Some of those players 
needed more support than others. But I think he's done a really good job of, of, of going through case-by-case basis and trying to figure out which players would really, really need to come into the environment so that we can help them and, and help them thrive and succeed. And certainly, I know moving forward, we want to continue to grow that program because we want to continue to provide the extra resources and the, and the care that some of these players may need. So I feel like, I feel like moving forward, that's on the, the academic piece. And then on the mental piece, 100%. I think that they're, they're going to be doing studies for the next 15 years to, to figure out what the pandemic did to, to this younger generation coming through. Uh, our job is just to be there to, to look at everybody as a case-by-case basis and just to, to make sure we understand where they're at, what stresses may have come up that weren't present before the pandemic, and how we can support those players and families moving forward. Because, again, that is a, it's a moving target. And certainly it affected everybody in a different way. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful to hear. You're spearheading the Academy Homestay Program. What exactly is that? So a homestay program, if you think about college, we'll use college again because you asked me about college earlier. Right, college, you go to a dorm, you live there, you live at the, you live at the place, you're away from your folks. Um, I would argue that you always hear stories about players getting homesick and everything else. It's tough. It's tough when you're, even when you're a freshman, when you're a freshman in college. So the homestay model, and again, we're not the only ones that, that look to do the homestay model. The idea is to put a, to, to have a young player come in who's leaving their family that wants to compete in a very high pressure environment, right? We want them to feel that family presence. So the idea the whole concept behind the homestay is that they actually come into our environment, they've left home, but then you provide them with that structure, that, that family environment, that family feel. So whether it's, whether it's families that are directly involved with the academy, as in having, fam- having players in the academy, some families that have had players come through and have graduated but are still looking to be involved and they, just, they love the sport and they, they love the club and they want to see that next generation of player come through and, and they're interested, or whether it's our, our growing community here right, right by the stadium. You know, Central Park is, is continuing to build and grow, and there's, there's so many great families and, and the family environment right around, right around Sporting Goods Park is, is pretty unique. It's pretty amazing. So all, all of these resources we want to tap into because in, in everybody that we've talked to, certainly uh, with my experience in Houston, with Chris's experience here, we feel like it's a program that we want to continue to build and grow because we feel like it does help the players ultimately find their footing and help them a little bit because, look, it's hard enough to compete in MLS next. It's hard, okay? These are – schedule's amazing. The games are games are tough every weekend. The players here already are really good, really competitive. So you add the layer of – of being away from your family and potentially missing, you know, siblings, mom, dad, the whole deal. You know, we really, we really find that the the homestay model and having that host family is something that can really help these kids find their footing, thrive, and and ultimately push, continue to push their development and find real success. 
That's good to hear. Um, the Rapids are an extremely diverse club on a number of levels. Uh, in December of last year, MLS announced a new ruling on diversity hiring policy, similar to the NFL's Rooney rule. I'd be tempted to almost call this like the Wilford Nancy slash Robin Frazier rule. But semantics aside, you know, as a person of color, what do you think's next for diversity and inclusion in MLS and in the Rapids? I feel like making sure we get the message to where the message needs to be delivered. So we have to make sure that whenever we have openings, whether it's internships, whether it's high-level positions, whether it's technical positions, business positions, marketing, sales and growth, we have to make sure that we're able to get the message to everyone. And that's, I, I think that when we look at it, that's one of our strategic objectives over the next two years is what have we done in the past? You know, where where are where are these job openings being posted? What networks are we tapping into? And how do we continue how do we continue to improve and evolve that to fit all the DEI initiatives that are not only coming down from New York at the league office, but also internally here with the club. And I feel like that's gonna be that's gonna be something that can really move the needle as we continue to identify and make sure that, that those sorts of opportunities are getting out everywhere getting out everywhere to every community, every nook and cranny to make sure that everybody knows what's going on and, and where to look for all these different opportunities that come up year after year. I think that's something that we all agree upon is, is that's going to make a big difference. And we're really excited about it. Yeah. Uh, Brian, this was so informative. Uh, is there anything, you know, that uh, related to player welfare or anything else that you do with the club that I haven't asked about that you think would be informational for me to hear? No, not at all. I feel like I feel like we tackled everything. You know, again, I I feel really lucky because I get to work with all the phases of the club on a daily basis, and it just gives you it gives you such a well-rounded perspective. Truly, you know, when when you're talking about a 14 year old and what they what they could be potentially going through on a daily basis, and then you're talking about potentially a veteran player, right, in their 30s and what they're going through and and everything in between. So it really is a special role and and. I know it's only going to continue to grow, to grow in the MLS, and so I just I'm excited for the league to continue on the trajectory we're at. So thank you for your time.